Well, good evening, everyone. It is good to see you out here tonight. I see some new faces in the crowd, and we welcome you. We thank you for coming out with us tonight. Our topic is Jesus on Revelation's rapture. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Loving Father, we are so grateful and thankful for the Sabbath day. Thank you for the wonderful worship we had this morning. And now, Lord, we want to dive back into Your Word, and we are praying that You'll guide our hearts and minds. Lord, we have come to realize that there is this major deception that is going on in the world today, and we want to understand it so that we can avoid it and we can be prepared for Your coming. So we pray the Holy Spirit will be poured out on this place. We pray that the angels are here ministering to us and helping us to understand and allowing you to do a work in us we can't do in ourselves. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I thought that we would do something a little bit different than we have done in our previous nine meetings. What I thought I would do tonight is I would start with what the popular teaching is, and then we would go to the Word of God and see what it says. Okay? And so when we get to this idea of the rapture, the first thing I want to tell you is that that word rapture is nowhere in the Bible. You can look from cover to cover and you will not find that word. But what you will find is that if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and you look at verse 17, it talks about the coming of Jesus Christ and it talks about us being caught up in the air to meet Him. And that phrase, caught up, has been exactly what that word rapture has come to mean. And so it's simply saying that we're going to be caught up in the air to meet Him. And that's the rapture. Now let me tell you what the popular view today in the Christian world is for the rapture. The way it goes, and there's some variations of this, but you'll get the general idea of the whole thing, is that uh, when the rapture is about to happen, that things are going to be going on in the world much the same as they are today. We see morality getting worse. We see violence getting worse. Those sorts of things. But the popular teaching is that all of a sudden, one day, without any notice or any uh, warning or anything at all, all of a sudden, one day, uh, thousands of people around the world are going to disappear. And depending on what side of the planet you're on, At the time, it may be that you're sleeping and you wake up and the person that was next to you is missing. They're gone. They've vanished. Maybe their clothes are there, but they're gone. Or if you're on the other side of the world where it's daytime, maybe there are planes that are crashing. Maybe there are cars that are crashing because the person who was driving all of a sudden vanished, disappeared. Maybe their clothes are there, but they're gone. And that's the popular view of the rapture. And they call it the secret rapture. Because there's a verse in the Bible that talks about 
Jesus coming as a thief in the night, and a thief comes to steal. And so the idea is that Jesus comes and steals his people away. And no one really understands what's going on or why it happens. But it takes some time, and they begin to realize that all of the really good people are gone. And so that's when they start to think, oh, we know what happened. Jesus came and stole his people away. And then the way the, the, the basic teaching of this is that there's going to be this man who comes on the scene who's very charismatic, very likable, very wise, who seems to be helping a lot of different people kind of sort things out and get things back together. And there's going to be this idea that we have been left behind and we have got seven years to figure it out and get right with Jesus and then he's coming back and you have a second opportunity, a second chance to get saved or to be lost eternally. And then... The next part of that is that this charismatic guy is going to make this treaty with Israel. He's going to allow them to rebuild the temple. He's going to make a seven-year treaty with them. And he allows them to start sacrificing animals again. But then halfway through this treaty, he goes into the temple, sits down and says, I'm God. You can't sacrifice animals anymore You need to worship me. And that kicks off what's referred to as the tribulation. Because now people realize they've been duped by this guy. And now we've got a problem. And so this starts this big war that's supposed to happen called Armageddon. That is the popular view. Now let's talk about what the Bible says. I want you to notice that in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. We've looked at this verse already before, and we know that this is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ when He comes back to this earth, and it gives us this picture of Him coming from an agricultural point of view. He's coming to harvest. And that's exactly what He's coming to do. He's coming to harvest His people to take them home. And so this is looking forward to that second coming. And we all have that hope of that being in our lifetime, don't we? We have that hope of Him coming very, very soon. And we also see in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, "...in My Father's house are many mansions." If it were not so, I would have told you so. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And so here we have this beautiful promise from Jesus that He will come again. He is coming back to this earth And we can count on that, can't we? We can trust Him 
that he's going to do that. We also read in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus Christ is what the Bible refers to as the blessed hope. It is the very hope that all of Christians are longing for. I want you to notice what Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist, once said. The return of the Lord to this earth is taught in the New Testament as clearly as any other doctrine in it. Whoever neglects this has only a mutilated gospel. I think that's pretty powerful, and I agree with him. Notice what else he says. Yet I was in the church 15 or 16 years before I ever heard a sermon on it. I can see a reason for this. The devil does not want us to see this truth, for nothing would wake up the church so much the moment a man realizes that Jesus Christ is coming back again to receive his followers to himself, this world loses its hold upon him. I don't know about you, but I agree with Dwight Moody on this. I think that he's absolutely right. And as we have this Bible series called Jesus on Prophecy, and we're looking at the prophecies, and we're looking at the deceptions that are going on in the world, and we look at the prophecies that reveal the timing of Jesus coming, we can see that we are there. Right? We are there. Jesus Christ is coming very soon. And when we realize that, then our heart and our mind should be captivated by that. We should recognize, I need to get ready. I need to be focused on this. And when we start focusing on those things, rather than the things of this world, the world loses its hold on us. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the blessed hope of the Bible. The problem is that there are varying views of what that second coming is going to be like. And so, there may be someone here tonight that would say, well, does it really matter if we understand what Christ's second coming is going to be like? And I'm going to suggest to you that yes, it does matter. Because I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you think it was important that the children of God understood the manner of His first coming? Because in Jesus Christ's day, the children of Israel, who were God's people, they were looking for a Messiah who was a conquering king who was going to liberate them from the Roman bondage instead of a suffering servant who would liberate them from the bondage of their sin. Notice in Matthew 27, verse 42, it says, When Jesus was hanging on the cross, that the Pharisees said to Him, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. If He is the King of Israel, let Him now come down from the cross 
and then we will believe in Him. I want you to notice here that the religious leaders of that day were saying that they would believe in Him essentially only if He proved Himself to be the mighty King who would reestablish their national glory like they thought that the Messiah should. If He comes down from the cross, if He shows us that He has that kind of power, then we'll believe in Him, right? But only if He is the Messiah that we think we should be. But because they ignored the prophecies of the suffering Messiah, they refused to believe in Him and they crucified the Lord of glory. And then a couple of days later, after He rose from the dead you got a couple of of disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes alongside of them and He's talking to them and somehow it's veiled. They don't see, they don't recognize Him, they don't know that it's Him, but He's talking to them and He explains the Scriptures about Himself and how He was supposed to suffer as the Messiah. But notice what they said to him in Luke chapter 24, verse 21. They said to him, but we were hoping that it was he, that is Christ, who was going to redeem Israel. Now, I find that verse very interesting because the reality is that he had redeemed them, but they still couldn't understand how He could have redeemed them because they thought to redeem Israel meant to take away the power of the Roman leaders and to give them the liberation that they were looking for as a physical nation. And so I ask you the question, did the understanding of the Jews in the manner of His first coming, have any effect on their readiness to receive Him? And I think that we should be able to see absolutely. And so I ask you the question, could it happen again? I believe that it could happen again, and I believe that it will happen again. And so let's look at the Bible to determine just exactly how Jesus is going to come this second time. And I want to start with those verses that those secret rapture promoters typically use as their proof text to say, see, it's going to be a secret rapture. So let's go to our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's going to be page 1358 if you're using one of those seminar Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to notice what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica and what he's saying to us. 1 Thessalonians 4. Look with me starting in verse 13. Paul says to us, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. This is, I don't want you to be 
ignorant about those who have died. And then he goes on to say, Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who have died. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus, or in this way, we shall always be with the Lord. Now, there's a whole lot of things that we can talk about there, but I want to just say that this verse is used primarily by those who teach and encourage this secret rapture or where they say the saints disappear and then everyone else is just wondering what happened. Because I want you to notice there in verse 17. Notice what it says. He says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up. And so this is the rapture. Right? This is what, you're not going to find that word rapture in the Bible, but this is what the rapture is talking about. It's talking about being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I want you to notice that everyone, every Bible commentary, every uh, theologian, everyone that's out there, they all agree that this is the rapture. This is all of God's people being caught up to meet Him. But how that happens is where we run into some challenges. Under the prevailing view, the rapture would be something that happens without people even realizing it. All of a sudden, there's just all of these people that have disappeared. The church has vanished. And so they say, This is a secret rapture. But I want you to notice the clues that we see here in verse 16. There are some people that say that verse 16 is the noisiest verse in all of the Bible. Because notice what it says. It says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a what? With a shout! with the voice of the archangel, and with the the trumpet of God. Right? This is a very noisy verse. Have you ever heard a silent trumpet? No. It makes a very certain sound, doesn't it? And notice that when you have the voice of the archangel, you have the trumpet of God that it raises the dead. This is a very noisy verse. And then we see that the dead in Christ are resurrected. They're giving uh, glorious new bodies. And those who are alive are caught up or raptured with them and they meet the Lord in the air. And so I want you to notice here that this can't possibly be a secret. It is a very noisy verse and we're going to see more of this. But I also want to ask you the question 
Do you see anywhere in that verse or that passage that we read from verse 13 to 17, do you see anywhere in there where it talks about a first second coming and a second second coming? Now, you might say, why are you asking a question like that? Because here's the thing. You and I are very intelligent human beings. We're able to reason together, right? So let's think about what that prevailing view that's being taught in the world today is really saying. Because what it's saying is that there's two second comings. The first second coming is that Christ is going to come secretly and steal His people away. And then there's going to be this seven years of tribulation and where you have this time to get it right and surrender your heart to God. And then He's going to come back in a second second coming in all of His glory. And the reason that I say that they're really saying that there's two second comings is because there's nowhere in the Bible that talks about a third coming of Christ. And so if they're saying there's a secret second coming and then there's a glorious second coming, they're really saying there's two second comings. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your thinking caps on. Because we are going to look at some verses that clearly show us this second coming and what it looks like. And I want you to be looking for anything in any of the verses that we read or talk about or have understanding of. And I want you to tell me if there's anything in there that talks about a first second coming or a second second coming. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you won't find one. But that's okay. I want you to be looking for that because we have to think this thing through logically. And so I want to show you what the rapture is. Now, we know that the rapture is not, that word's not in the Bible, but the word caught up is, right? So if we're going to truly understand what it's like to be caught up, then what we need to do is we need to go back to the time when Jesus Himself was taken up into heaven. And let's see what that looks like. So let's go in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, that's going to be page 1252 in your seminar Bible. Now, if we think about this for a minute... Jesus Christ has been living on this earth. He has had three and a half years of ministry. He was crucified. He was in the grave. He rose from the dead. And now He is going back to heaven. He is going to be taken up into heaven. And so let's look at Acts chapter 1. And I want you to look with me in verse 6. The Bible says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And I'm going to pause there for a minute. I want you to notice here that Jesus had repeatedly told the disciples that His kingdom was not of this world. That He was not going to set up a kingdom on the earth. He was not going to sit on an earthly throne, 
but He was coming to save us from our sins and the kingdom would come later. So now... Christ has died. Christ has risen from the dead. And so now the disciples come to Him and say, Lord, are you going to do it now? That's a great question, isn't it? And then Jesus says, essentially, in the next two verses, that's not for you to know. That's not for you to worry about. I gave you the Great Commission. You need to go out and preach the Gospel to every person and baptize in the name of the Lord and all of that. And then I want you to notice what it says in verse 9. Now when He, that is Jesus, had spoken these things, while they, that's the disciples, watched, He was taken up, it's another way of saying caught up, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. And so here we see these angels standing there next to them. And I want you to notice all the words there in that passage that have to do with sight. It talks about vision. It talks about how they watched, how they looked, how they beheld, how they saw, right? And so clearly we're seeing from the Word of God itself that Jesus was seen by the disciples. He was seen going up into heaven. He went up into a cloud And then he disappeared in the cloud and was taken up into heaven. And you ever seen an airplane going through the sky, goes into a cloud and it disappears, right? You can't see it. That's what happened. He was caught up or taken up and the cloud received him out of their sight. And what the angels are saying that are standing next to him is, it's going to be exactly like that when he comes back just in the opposite order. The first thing you're going to see is the cloud, and then you're going to see Him coming on the clouds of heaven with all of His angels with Him, right? And so they're saying that the second coming of Jesus Christ is not going to be some secret event where no one knows what happened, but they're going to see Him. It's going to be just like it was when He was taken up. Now... I want you to notice the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, He is coming with clouds and nobody's going to see Him. Is that what it says? No, it says, and every eye will see Him. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. You have two eyes. Every eye. I is going to see him. That means you're going to see him, you're going to see him, you're going to see him. On the other side of the world, they're going to see him. Every kindred, nation, tongue, and people, everyone is going to see him coming in the clouds of heaven. We see that directly from the Word of God. And I'll just add in my own thinking here. Now, you notice I'm telling you this is what I think, right? 
I think when that says every eye will see him, I think Jesus is going to do a miracle and even those who are blind are going to see him. Because it says every single eye will see him. Now, I want you to notice too that in Matthew chapter 24, which we have looked at quite a bit, we looked at that on the first night because that's the chapter where Jesus tells the disciples all of the signs they should be looking for at his second coming. And I want you to notice he's telling them what to look for. And one of the first thing, the, the very first thing he says is don't let anyone deceive you. Friends, we are living in the days of deception. There is major deception going on in the world. And there's major deception when it comes to the rapture or the catching up of God's people to heaven. But notice what he says in verse 26. If they say to you, look, he, that is Christ, is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. That's in that passage there where he is describing to his disciples what's going to happen at the end. And so the question that we should ask is, why not? Why is Jesus telling us that if someone says that he's over in Cairo, or he is over in the Philippines, or he is in Israel, he says, don't believe it. It's a deception. It's a lie. Don't go. So, why not? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. Verse 27. He says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, if you have ever looked up in the sky and you have ever seen lightning, it starts here, but then you see it go all the way across the sky sometimes, don't you? And he's saying, just like lightning is seen all the way from the east to the west, the same will be true of the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be just like that. In other words, everyone is going to see Him. Now, at this point, I want to address one of those verses, one of those texts or readings, I should say, that are used by those who believe in this secret rapture, and they're promoting that, that the saints are vanished away and taken up into heaven. So let's look at this verse. And, and the verse is the one about Jesus coming as a thief in the night. And so the question is, doesn't the Bible say Jesus comes like a thief? And in fact, it does. Let's take a look at it. One of the places that it says that is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And notice that Peter says, But the day of the Lord, that's the second coming of Christ, will come as a what? As a thief in the night. And so here we see, of course the Bible talks about Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Now, I want you to notice what else it says though. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise... And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now this is a verse that people say, see there's this secret rapture because Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. And when a thief comes, he comes to steal. And so Jesus is coming to steal away his people. 
But friends, that is a slaughtering of the text. Because I want you to notice here, it says that He's going to come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away. Do you think the heavens could pass away without anybody noticing? They're going to pass away with a great noise. And then it says the elements will melt. The elements are the very air itself. This is going to be so hot, so intense, that the glory of Christ, when He comes, everything is going to be destroyed by the brightness of His coming. Because the, the heat is so hot that even the air itself is going to melt. But then also notice that it says that the earth and the works that are in it are going to be burned up. Do you think it's possible that the entire earth could be burned up and we wouldn't know it? I don't think that this can possibly be a secret event. Now, it does tell us that He comes as a thief in the night. And so what is this talking about here when it says that He's going to come as a thief in the night? I want to look at another verse that talks about that. So turn with me in your Bibles back to 1 Thessalonians But this time, we're going to go to chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that's going to be page 1358, if you're using one of those seminar Bibles. And I want you to notice, if your Bible is like mine, mine has a headline over chapter 5. Does yours, what does it say? The day of the Lord. That's right. So this is clearly talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Now, notice what it says starting in verse 1. Paul says to us, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that's the second coming of Christ, so comes as a thief in the night. And so here, once again, we have confirmation in the Bible. It does say that He comes as a thief in the night. Then notice verse 3. For when they say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. All right, now, I want you to think about what this is saying here. I want you to notice that when it talks about Jesus coming as a thief in the night, It's not talking about the manner of His coming. We've already talked about the manner of His coming. It's going to be visible. It's going to be audible. Right? So this is not talking about the manner of His coming. This is talking about the timing of His coming. When does a thief come? Number one, when it's dark, typically, right? And Paul says that you, are, you should not be in darkness. And so the thief comes in the dark, but the thief also comes when you're least expecting him, right? The thief comes when you left the door unlocked. The thief comes when you left the window open. And so the thief comes when you are unprepared. And so Paul says you don't have to be in darkness. You don't have to be unprepared. Right? 
It's very important that we understand that. Now, let me ask you another question. Will the unrighteous have a second chance at the second coming of Jesus? Because remember the popular view is that He's going to come in this secret rapture, take His people away, but then there's this time when you have at least seven years of tribulation where you can rethink it, re-examine it, and surrender your heart to Him, and then He's going to come again in this glorious second, second coming. That's the popular view, right? And so the question we want to ask ourselves is, do the unrighteous get a second chance? And I want you to notice what we just read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want you to look again at verse 3. Because I want you to notice what it clearly says in the Word of God. Because it says that when He comes, sudden destruction is going to come upon them and they shall not escape. Now, does that sound like there's a second chance? It sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? I don't know any other way we can think about this, but to say that there is going to be a destruction that happens. There are other verses in the Bible that talk about the wicked being destroyed by the brightness of His coming. And there are others as well. So this is not picturing some secret vanishing of Christians and other people waiting around and trying to figure out what happened and having another chance. I want you to notice too that beyond that, look at verse 4. He says, but you brethren, this is speaking to the church. He says, you are not in darkness so that that day should overtake you as a thief. And so what he's saying is, there is no reason for you to be unprepared. You are aware of these things and so you should be getting your heart right with God and surrendering to Him And having that living connection with Him. And there should be evidence from your life that He is transforming you. He is giving you the power to keep His commandments. Now, I want you to think about something else. As you go through the four Gospels of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have you ever seen times in there where Jesus said to the disciples, Make sure that you watch. Make sure that you're paying attention, right? He was repeatedly, constantly telling them to watch. And there's another verse where it says, uh, make sure that you're watching so that you're not overtaken by the cares of the world, right? And so Jesus was repeatedly saying, we need to watch. And He was also talking about that when he was referring to his coming as a thief. We should be watching so that we are prepared. We are to be looking at the signs of the time in which we live. We see that the signs are showing us that Christ's second coming is very soon. And we're also seeing all of this deception that's going on. And so he's saying there's no reason that you shouldn't be unprepared. Now let's take a look at another verse that is often used in that view 
of that secret rapture where there's this vanishing away of people. That verse has to do with the question, doesn't the rapture happen in the twinkling of an eye? There are people that ask that question. And certainly, that means there must be something in Scripture that talks about that, right? So let's go look at it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's going to be page 1325 if you're using that seminar Bible. And I want you to notice what Paul says to the church in Corinth, what he's saying to us. 1 Corinthians 15, look with me starting in verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now this is a wonderful, beautiful passage that is talking about the hope of the resurrection. But I want you to notice what it says there. Because there are people that say that what happens in the twinkling of an eye is that we are caught up, right? But I want you to go back and look at it again. Because what it's saying there is that we are going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye, right? Not that we're going to be caught up in the air, And a twinkling of an eye is about that quick. And so it's not going to be that we're caught up in the air that quick. The verse very clearly says, if you read it carefully, that we are going to be changed. That means those who come out of the grave are not going to look like zombies. Right? There are some that have been in the grave for thousands of years. There's nothing but bones. But Christ is going to resurrect them and give them instantly glorified bodies they are not going to have the taint of sin in them he says this corruption this corruptible nature that i have has to be transformed he has to give me an uncorrupted or an incorruptible nature and this mortal body because i'm a sinner the wages of sin is death and i'm mortal now he's going to give me immortality And so that's the change that happens instantaneously at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. You see, when we're transformed, if we're alive, the same thing's going to happen. This corruption puts on incorruption. This mortal puts on immortality. The same thing happens to those who come out of the grave. And now, there's no more signs of aging. No more disease. No arthritis. You know, those things are gone, right? And so that's what happens in that twinkling of an eye. And so this says nothing in this passage about Christians vanishing away 
and others being left behind to figure out what happened. It doesn't say anything about a first second coming there or a second second coming. And so this is clearly just saying the exact same thing that it said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 which is saying that there's going to be the coming of Christ, there's going to be this resurrection, there's going to be this transformation of God's people, and we're all going to be caught up in the air to meet Him. It's all talking about the exact same event. Now let me show you another verse. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, that's page 1142 of your seminar Bible. Matthew 24. And again, this is the chapter where Jesus is talking to His disciples about the signs of His second coming. I want you to notice something that Jesus says in verse 30. Look at this. He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. That means everybody's going to see the signs that we've already been talking about. And then, notice what it says. What's the next word? And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That means everybody's going to see those signs, doesn't it? Everybody's going to see it. All of the tribes will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51-54 told us the exact same thing. Christ is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ are going to rise. We who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the air. And now Matthew chapter 24 is saying the exact same thing, but it's adding one other piece of information. In this one, Jesus says that His angels are going to go out and gather us together. We're, we're going to be taken by the angels up into the air to meet Him. And that sounds pretty exciting to me. It scares some people. But I just say, don't worry. It's okay. They won't drop you. Right? It's going to be a glorious time, but we have that one other piece of information added. Now, let's summarize what we've learned. We see that when Jesus Christ comes, it's going to be visible. Every eye will see Him. It's also going to be literal. That means it's not some secret second coming. That means it's not some spiritual coming. This is a real, literal, physical coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to come back the same way that He went up. And then it's also audible. We saw that it's going to happen with a great noise, with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. This is very noisy, and it's also going to be glorious. You're going to see Jesus Christ coming in the clouds with thousands and thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands of angels. And it's also going to be very climactic. 
It's going to be climactic for the people of God because they are going to see Him coming. They're going to see His glory. They're going to see Him as He is. And we're going to be gathered together by the angels and caught up in the air to see Him. But it's also going to be very climactic for the unrighteous because they are going to be destroyed by the brightness of His coming. Now, then some people say, well, what about those who are left behind, right? Because there couldn't be this whole left behind series of books and all of these movies that have come out promoting this secret rapture view if there wasn't really something in the Bible that talked about it. So let's see what the Bible has to say. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's going to be page 1360 of your seminar Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want you to notice what Paul says to us starting in verse 7. Paul says, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. So this is talking about the second coming, isn't it? Now notice what it says. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day, that's the second coming, to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Isn't that awesome? Jesus Christ is going to be revealed when? At His second coming. And the wicked are going to be destroyed And the righteous are going to be glorified. Isn't that what we've already seen in all of those other texts that we've looked at? So we see that the Bible is very consistent on this event. But then someone says, but what about those who are left behind? So let's look at that. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. That's going to be page 1141 of your seminar Bible. And I want you to notice what it says starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of Your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. I'm going to stop right there. Now we already have read this. We already know that this is where Jesus then goes through this list of signs that we should be looking for at His second coming. But the first thing that He says is, don't let anyone deceive you. And if you continue reading down all the way to verse 28, you will find no less than four times when Jesus says, don't let anybody deceive you. Why do you think He tells us that four times? 
Because the reality is, in these last days of earth's history, deception is more popular than the truth. And we have this major deception that's been going on. And how did it happen? You take a little bit of error, you mix it in with truth over thousands of years, and pretty soon it's being taught as truth. And that's exactly what we're seeing with today with this idea of this secret rapture and the vanishing away of God's people. Now, I want you to notice something here in Matthew 24. I want to give you another sign that we can look at of Jesus coming and what it's going to be like. Look with me in verse 37. Matthew 24, verse 37, same place we just were, but it says in verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I'm going to pause there for a moment. I want you to notice here that Jesus is saying, just like it was in the days of Noah, that's exactly like what it's going to be when I come back. He keeps going though. Look at verse 40. He says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Now this is where these secret rapture promoters get this idea of being left behind, right? It clearly says one's going to be taken, the other one's going to be left. Look at verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore... For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect it. Now, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Jesus is giving us these signs of His coming. And He says it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. And then He says, one's going to be taken and one's going to be left behind. So, what is this talking about? I have a question for you. In talking about the days of Noah, was the flood a secret? It was a surprise, but it wasn't a secret. Everybody knew they were in trouble, didn't they? The flood came and took them all away, right? And so here we see in the days of Noah, there's two classes of people. Those who were taken and those who were left. And the class that was taken in the ark were alive. But what happened to those that were left? 
They were destroyed by the flood, right? That flood, if you go study that out, from the time that Noah and his family got into the ark until the time that the ark landed on Mount Ararat, it was 365 days. There's no way that one single person survived the flood if they weren't in the boat. And Jesus says it's going to be the same thing when He comes. Now, I want to show you the parallel passage of what Matthew refers to here as the days of Noah were. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, that's going to be page 1207 of the Seminar Bible. And I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 26. Jesus is speaking. And He says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and did what? destroyed them all. So this is saying the exact same thing that Matthew did, isn't it? But now Luke is going to add a little more information. Notice verse 28. Likewise, in other words, in addition to that, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so here we see another example of this, as it was in the days of Noah, two classes of people. Now we have the days of Lot. And again, we have two classes of people. We have Lot and his two daughters who came out of Sodom alive. And then what happened to everyone else? Fire came down from heaven and they were destroyed, right? And so here we clearly see from the Word of God that when Christ comes, there's no second chance. There's two classes of people. You're either with that group that's caught up into the air to meet Him or you are left And I want you to notice that that verse in the Bible doesn't say left behind. It simply says they are left, right? One is taken, the other is left. And so there are people that are reading into it and saying they were left behind as if they were left alive, right? But I think every verse that we've seen very clearly shows that those who are left are destroyed. But just in case you're wondering, I want to make it abundantly clear to you. So look with me at verse 34. Still in Luke 17, look at verse 34. I tell you in that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken the other left. Verse 36. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken and the other left. So this is the exact same language that Matthew was using, isn't it? Now I want you to notice, because there are some people that say, yeah, they're left behind and they're left alive. But notice what the Word of God says. Look at the very next verse, verse 37. And they, that's the disciples, answered and said to him, that's Jesus, where 
Lord. In other words, where are they left? That's what they're asking Him, right? Notice what He says. So He said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather together. Now that by itself might not make a whole lot of sense to us, but if we go back to Matthew chapter 24, where we saw originally the story of as in the days of Noah, if you go down to Matthew chapter 24 verse 28, it doesn't say where the body is, it says where the carcass is. There the birds will be. So what is this saying? This is saying that when Christ comes, there's two classes of people. There's one that are taken alive up into heaven, and there's one that's left who are destroyed. And if all of God's people are taken to heaven and everybody on earth is destroyed, there's nobody left to bury the bodies. And so you have all of these bodies strewn throughout the earth. And what's the natural thing that happens? The birds come and eat the bodies. That's what it's saying to us. And we can see that same thing in another verse in the Bible. You can go to Job chapter 39 and you can look at verse 27. And it says, Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? And then three verses later in verse 30 it says, Its young ones suck up blood and where the slain are, there it is. What's that saying? It's saying that the eagles are going to come and suck up the blood and eat the decomposing bodies. Because wherever the carcass is, wherever the slain are, wherever the bodies are, that's where the vultures are going to be. All the carnivores are going to come and eat up the bodies. There's no one to bury them. Right? That's simply what it's saying. Now, there's another part of that popular view that we need to talk about. Because... Remember, the popular view is that there's going to be this secret rapture and then there's going to be this charismatic guy who comes on and then uh, they discover that he's the Antichrist and that kicks off the tribulation. That's the popular view. So let's put that in the proper perspective. Let's put it in the proper order. What they're saying in that popular view is that the church is taken up into heaven first, Antichrist shows up on the scene second, tribulation is third, Christ's second second coming is after the tribulation. That's the popular view. But what does the Bible say? Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's going to be page 1360 of your seminar Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want you to notice what it says in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, this is talking about the second coming, isn't it? 
We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let me pause there for a minute. Paul is dealing with a problem in the church. There is error that has come into the church, and there are people that are saying that the coming of the Lord has already happened. That's what some people are teaching. And apparently there are even letters that are being circulated that are supposedly from the apostles saying that. And Paul says, that's not coming from us. And then look at the next verse. Look at verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you by any means... For that day, that is the second coming of Christ, will not come unless the what? The falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, Paul is giving us an order of events here. He says, make sure no one deceives you. Friends, there is major deception going on in God's church today. It started thousands of years ago. And it has worked its way to today, and now it's being taught as truth. So I want you to notice what Paul says. He says, the falling away must be first. Another way of saying the falling away is apostasy. Apostasy is what we've already been talking about that has already happened with the Antichrist coming up out of Rome. And truth was cast to the ground and error prospered. That's the falling away. They were falling away from the truth. Remember what John said? He said they went out from us because they were not of us. Right? Remember that? Alright, so here we see the apostasy has to happen first. Now here's the thing, friends. We have already studied this out and we know the apostasy has already started long ago, right? So if the popular view of the secret rapture is that Christ's church was raptured first, then the Antichrist and apostasy, then that means the rapture has already happened and you and I missed it. But that's not the way it works, right? The Bible shows us that's not what happened. And then he also says, the man of sin is revealed. Because what happened back in the dark age? Truth was cast to the ground. Error prospered. But then after the 1260 day prophecy of Daniel, we see that truth was going to start being restored. And that's when you have the Reformation. Right? Martin Luther nails his 95 theses to the wall and the Reformation begins and now truth is starting to be restored. And when the truth is restored, the Antichrist is revealed. You see, friends, the fact that I pointed out to you that the Roman Catholic Church is Antichrist is not a new teaching. What happened was that Luther nailed his 95 theses to the wall and that started the Reformation. But what really poured fuel on that watershed moment of history 
is when Luther, Haas, Jerome, all of these reformers started reading the Bible for themselves and without even working together, they all came to the same conclusion. The very church that they were fighting against was Antichrist. And when they saw that, the Reformation exploded. And so we see that it happened exactly how Paul said it would. The falling away has to happen first. Error has to be prospering. Truth is cast to the ground. But now the Reformation starts and now the truth starts being restored and now the Antichrist is revealed. And that's exactly what we just read. And Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you. All right, now let's move on from there. I want to talk about Revelation chapter 16. So move there with me. Revelation 16. Now I'm going to show you a verse up on the screen, but I'm going to talk about more than just that verse. So I want you to have your Bibles open there because I want you to notice something very important. Another clue that we need to look at Because remember what the prevailing view is. That there's this secret rapture and God's church is taken up into heaven. What that's also saying is that the church is gone before the tribulation. That's what that popular view is teaching. Right? The secret rapture, then the Antichrist comes on the scene, then the tribulation. All right. I want you to notice what it says in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. I've got it here on the screen. I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. There's another one of those verses, right? He's coming as a thief. Not the manner of His coming, the timing of His coming. But then He says, Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments unless he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, let me ask you a question. When does that take place? I want you to look at your Bibles and I want you to notice where you are in Revelation chapter 16. Because if you go back and you look at the previous verses to this, 14 verses, we realize that when Jesus says, I'm coming as a thief, we are in the middle of the sixth of the seven last plagues. And clearly, every Bible commentary out there agrees that the seven last plagues happen in the tribulation. That's God pouring out His wrath on the earth. And so we have six plagues out of seven that have already happened. And by the way, the seventh plague is the second coming. It's not a plague to you and me, but it is to everyone who's not ready. Right? And so the sixth plague, in the middle of it, Jesus says, I'm coming. He's not here yet. And so clearly, His church is going through the tribulation. Are you with me? We see it clearly from there that we are already almost through the entire tribulation and He hasn't come yet. He says, I'm coming. I'm coming as a thief. And so it's important for us to recognize that. 
Now, I want you to look at this verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. The Bible says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that that has a dual meaning. It could be that we could say that the evil day is the day when Christ comes. Because that's Armageddon. That's when He's going to destroy the wicked, right? But you might say, Pastor, I think you're stretching it a little bit there. And so I'll just tell you what. I'll just back off from that and I'll say, okay, I'll give you that one. But notice the the next verse I want to show you. Matthew 24, verse 13. Again, this is after Jesus talks about all the signs of His second coming. So this is clearly talking about the second coming, isn't it? Notice what it says. But he who endures until the rapture shall be saved. Is that what it says? No, it says he who endures until the end. The end of what? The end of the age. The time when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, right? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Because clearly, Jesus is saying you're going to be going through the tribulation. And those that endure it till the end are going to be saved. Now, I want you to go back with me to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. And I want to talk some more about this tribulation. Now, you'll remember that we already talked partly about Revelation 13. We talked about verses 1 through 10. We called that the first beast, which we also know is the Antichrist, right? But then you get to verse 11 and John says he saw another beast. And so now we have the second beast of Revelation 13. And I want you to notice what the Bible says starting in verse 14. It says, And he, that's the second beast, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. That's the first beast. The Antichrist. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, I want you to notice here, this is talking about this second beast, right? But I want you to notice here that there is, as we go through this tribulation, and I say we because we've seen that the church is going to be in the tribulation. So here we see that the church also is going to have to make a decision just like everybody else in the world, whether or not to receive the mark of the beast. And we're going to be talking about that in nights coming up. What is the mark of the beast? 
And if we, the, the church, are going to be going through that, we also are going to have to make that decision. That is a test that every single person on earth is going to have to go through. I'm not going to go through it, but I'm just going to point you to Revelation chapter 14. And I want you to notice verse 9 and 10. Because it says there very clearly that the ones who receive the wrath of God are the ones that have the mark of the beast. Right? And so that means that even though we go through the tribulation, even though we go through those last plagues, the only ones that are affected by them are the ones who have taken the mark of the beast. The ones who have taken the seal of God, which we're also going to talk about, they're not affected by it. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 16 and you look at verses 1 and 2, you'll see the same thing. That the ones that receive the mark of the beast are the ones that receive the plagues. Now, we can take that back to Egypt, right? Because we have an example of this. Back in Egypt, before God brought His people out, He brought about ten plagues. Ten. The first three affected both Egypt and Israel. But the last seven only affected Egypt. God protected His people through those plagues. And now, at the end of time, we only have seven last plagues. And God protects His people through them all. So we don't have anything to worry about if we have given our hearts to Christ. If we have the seal of the living God and we don't have the mark of the beast. And so, yes, there's going to be some persecution. And yes, there are going to be some of God's people, many, many, Many of God's people who are going to die in that time. But there are also going to be some that are going to make it all the way through. Because what did Paul say? For those who of us who are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up together with them in the air. Right? That's what Paul said. So, what do we see here? Well, I want you to think about this for a minute. You might say to me then, Pastor, are you telling me that I'm going to have to go through the seven-year tribulation? My answer is no. That's not what I said. You see, I don't know how long the seven-year tribulation is going to be. Do you know how that came about? A little bit of lie with truth over thousands of years and pretty soon it's taught as the truth. If you go back to the Reformation and you go back to that point when the Reformers discovered that the very church that they were fighting against was Antichrist, instead of the church humbling themselves, submitting themselves, saying we've erred, we need to get this right, the church decided to go another way. What the church did is they formed a new society of highly intelligent people who they commissioned to come up with an alternative view other than they are the Antichrist. 
And so they formed the Society of Jesus. Now that may not mean a whole lot to you and me today because they changed their name. Today, they're the Jesuits. Who, by the way, our Pope is the first Jesuit priest they've ever had. But the whole purpose in forming this elite group was so that they could come up with a counter to the Reformation. A counter to the truth that they were Antichrist. And so there was this Jesuit priest by the name of Francisco Ribera who came up with this theory. And this theory was, you remember the 70-week prophecy of Daniel that we looked at in Daniel chapter 9? That 70 weeks, that was the beginning of the 2300-day prophecy of Daniel chapter 8? What Francisco Ribera said was that we're going to take the first 69 weeks the first 483 years, and we're going to apply that to Jesus Christ because 69 weeks takes you to Christ dying on the cross. But then he said, we're going to take that 70th week, which is seven days, which means seven literal years because in Bible prophecy a day equals a year. And so that's where they get the seven-year tribulation. But what we're going to do is we're going to move it all the way out to the end of time and it's going to be this sinister man who comes on the scene and he's going to make a treaty with Israel. That's where that came from. And you know what? When, when he came out with that, everybody was like, no way. But years later... You have guys like Tim LaHaye who writes the book The Left Behind and he clearly says in that book that it's fiction but everybody takes it as gospel. Friends, there is a major deception that is going on. And why? Why? Because if... If the devil can get you to think that there's a second chance, then you can be, oh, well, when I see the tribulation happen, then I'll get right with Jesus. But friends, it's too late. And so what is he trying to do? He's trying to get God's people to be lethargic, not think about it, not care about it. He's trying to deceive you into disobeying the commandments of God so that you will be lost, so that in the judgment He can say, that one belongs to Me. That one belongs to Me. And that one and that one. And so we see this major deception. But the Bible is very clear. At the second coming of Christ, there's going to be two classes of people. Those who are taken alive to heaven and those who are destroyed by the brightness of His coming. And I want you to notice that Isaiah 25 verse 9 points out one of those groups of people. There's going to be that, that group that go to heaven and when they see Christ coming in the clouds, they're going to say, this is our God, we have waited for Him and He will save us. But then there's another group of people who have been indifferent to the warnings of Jesus to watch and to be ready and to not be deceived by the wiles of the devil and the Antichrist. And so when Christ comes, their response is going to be totally different. 
In Revelation 6.15 it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Two classes of people. In the last days, everybody is just going on with business as normal. They are marrying and giving in marriage. They are building houses. They're working in their jobs. They're raising their families. But there's two classes of people. And one class is ready, and the other one is going to be caught by surprise. They are unprepared. And so the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Jesus is coming, and He is looking for His people. And do they love His appearing? Or are you going to be among that group that run and hide and ask the rocks to fall on them? Now friends, I want to close tonight with a little story. Years ago, there was a farmer who lived along the Atlantic seaboard and he needed a new foreman to run his operation. But it was often difficult to get people to come and work because of the area because they were right on the Atlantic seacoast and people knew that there were often hurricanes and strong winds that came in and just tore everything apart. And so he was having a hard time finding a foreman. But finally one day somebody came and applied for the job. And he asked him a lot of questions, but he asked him one very important question. He said to him, are you a good worker? And the guy who was applying for the job said to him, I can sleep when the wind blows. Well, the farmer, he didn't really know what the guy meant by that. He was too embarrassed to ask him, and he was desperate, and so he hired him. And things were going along perfectly. This guy was the best foreman that he had ever seen. And then one night the winds began to blow. And the farmer, he grabbed his lantern, he went out to the bunkhouse where all of the hired help was, and he woke them up. And he went over to the foreman and he shook him and he said, Get up, there's a storm coming, we need to get things ready. And the foreman said, No. And he rolled over to go back to sleep. And the farmer was furious. He finally said, if you don't get up and come out and help, you're fired. And the foreman turned around and he looked at him and he said, I told you, I can sleep when the wind blows. Well, the farmer took all of the hired hands that he could and he went out to get things ready. And when they went out he discovered that all of the bales of straw were already covered with tarps and strapped down. All of the animals were already put in the barn and all of the doors were shut. The chickens were in the coop. The shutters were put on the house. And then the farmer understood. 
He knew then what the foreman meant when he said, when the wind blows, I can sleep. And the reason that he could do that is because he already knew the storm was coming and he had already prepared for it. You see, friends, there is a storm that is coming. The winds of destruction are about to blow on this earth and the Lord is going to pour out His judgments upon the wicked. And the Scriptures tell us that the islands are going to disappear, the mountains are going to move out of their place, and the question is, are we going to be able to rest in Jesus knowing that we are ready for what's coming? Friends, we do not want to be deceived, do we? We want to be ready for the coming of Jesus. And so we have got to understand the Scriptures. And we have got to understand the deceptions that's going on in the world so that we can be prepared. That's what I want. I want to be prepared. Is that the desire of your heart? Then pray with me now. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for opening up our eyes to this major deception that's going on with this idea of a secret rapture and that the church is not going to go through the tribulation. Lord, we have seen clearly from your word tonight that that is a lie. And Lord, we are thankful that you have shown us this. And we are asking You to prepare us for the things that are coming upon the world. Lord, keep us coming to Jesus on prophecy because there are so many more truths for us to discover. Lord, we want to know exactly what's going on so that we can be on the right side. We pray that You would send Your angels to minister to us. We pray that You would pour out Your Holy Spirit upon us and that, Lord, You would save us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.